Yes. The monkeys. The monkeys. Uh, welcome to episode number 39 on Sports and Songs podcast, our weekly show with uh, with Dan and Andy. I'm your uh, co-host, Dan. Along me, along with me here is Andy. How you doing, Andy? Good. Yourself? Good. Not bad. You know, we got a lot of sports here to cover this week. The Twins are, are 45 games in to a 60-game schedule, and so we got uh, 15 to go. And next thing you know, we'll be talking about playoffs and uh, postseason awards. Yes, they are kind of kicking around some postseason awards already. A lot of different teams. Some teams already are kind of jacking their lineups to. Uh, I know the Mets are doing that with the Grom to pad his stats a little bit, make sure he goes against the weaker lineups, weaker pitchers. Not that he needs it, but why not get the wins? Who's in the running for the home run batting title? Is Mr. You know, uh, Tatis? There's a lot of guys up for the home run title right now. Oh, excuse me. You know, um, batting titles up in the air. MVPs up in the air. Cy Young. They're all kind of really up in the air right now. It's going to come down these last 15 games. Triple crown? No. So uh, who, I was, who I was mentioning was Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. Tatis. So he was the one who had the problem with the 3-0 count, bases loaded, grand slam, and now it's really coming, to, uh, coming back to actually benefit him in the home run title because he's tied for second. Well, a lot of things they say he's done uh, that are uh, broken the unwritten rules. There's no unwritten rules. You play to win the game, Herm Edwards used to say. Probably still says it, but, you know, you play to win the game. Um, I'm not comparing him to this, but Fernando Tatis Jr., his style of play reminds me of a little Pete Rose where you just go 100% balls to the wall all the way out all the time, which is – you don't see that very often. I kind of like that. It's not a bad thing. Some people may or may not disagree or agree with it, but it's not a bad thing either. I mean, like, like Kirby Puckett used to have an issue with guys. When they'd hit a ground ball to third, they'd take it easy down the first. Or as Kirby said, they'd be Cadillacking down. Kirby ran everything out. That's the type of player I think Tatis is going to be. Yes, you run it all out. You never – we've seen teams come from behind from seven runs down a couple innings, you know, so you don't take anything for granted. You never, you never can tell. And with the shortened season, every game does count. Every game is important. So now we get down the stretch. uh, It is. And like you said earlier, teams are going to be jockeying for uh, pitching rotation. Who's going to be up there. You may want to give them an extra start to pad the stats or line them up for a uh, postseason because there's, eight teams in each division that are going to be making the postseason. Yep. Eight teams, and there's three divisions in each league. So the winner will automatically make it. The second-place team will make it. And then after that, the top two best overall record teams make it. So eight will make it, which is very interesting. The eight – I mean, that's, that's 16 teams making it. The Twins right now have the sixth-best record in all of Major League Baseball. But we'd be the seventh seed right now. Correct. So it's interesting that uh, a lot of these teams will will make it. Uh, You're not playing for just like in the past. You have to outright win the American League East and the West before the wild card uh, situation came into play. Actually had to win your division, and that was it. Um, Now it's you get a lot of these extra teams. So the postseason will be fun, I should say, with uh, all the extra. Oh yeah. I think they had the rules this year, too, where top couple seeds get to pick who they want, too. It's not per se one against eight, two against seven. Which yeah, kind of scares first because the whole Twins-Yankees rivalry in the past, the whole trappery of the Yankees. But Yankees today, might not even make it right now. You know, we've got 40 – we've got 15 games left. The Twins play the Cleveland Indians tonight. Tonight is Friday, September 11th. Uh-huh. Cleveland at Minnesota. and But look who's pitching. Bieber, Shane Bieber, seven and zero, yeah. going up against Kenta Maeda, who's four and one, who should have really been five and zero, right? Right. His only loss was the game that he actually had the no hitter going in the seventh inning. I think was his only loss. Yes. 
So it's probably his best game of the year, and now he gets a loss. It was only blemish on the year, but that should be a good, good ball game. And with the, with the White Sox, the Orioles doing well, Detroit Tigers doing well, this whole American League is, is interesting. The Boston Red Sox, though, have the worst record in the American League. And that does my heart good. <laughs> I think a lot of people like to see that. But, uh, but And the sad thing is, too, is Houston – has a losing record also. The last two World Series champs have rotten records because the way the AL West is, Houston's in second place is committed to playoffs. It's all part of the fun. It's like, it's Andy, like what you said in the preseason, Andy, your prediction was we're going to have a team or two in the Major League postseason playoffs with a losing record. That prediction I think will come true. The one that's biting me in the butt is where I said, the Detroit Lions might get more wins than the Tigers. Tigers, Garden Hire has got them playing some good baseball in Detroit right now. Scary team to watch or scary team to have to play right now. I would not want to play the Tigers with my playoff life on the line. Well, your bet is 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 wrong now. It can't possibly happen because the Tigers have won their twentieth game. But at the beginning now, of the year, that's... the Lions go sixteen and zero, and there's three playoff games. The Lions have the undefeated season. Undefeated season could land at twenty. I got, I got, a, I got a chance. There's still a chance. Well, that'd be nineteen because they go undefeated. They wouldn't be a wild card. So there's an outside chance chance of any of that happening. But you never yeah, know. Yeah, slim, slim chance, but I still got a chance. Yeah, they are playing good though. So, uh, Andy, what have you got today for for sports information? Well, I got a couple of things. Uh, we touched on it last week, one, and then another one this week. I mean, baseball, two devastating losses with Tom Seaver and Lou Brock. Yes. Passing away. Um, Seaver, the Mets had a nice little uh, tribute. They'll put dirt on their knee. If you look at all the old Mets pitchers from back in the day, that's just the way the pitching system had it. And the minors, Kuzman did it. Nolan Ryan had it. Seaver had it. Sid Fernandez had it when he got in the mid-80s, late-80s. So, I think – Lou Brock, ex-Cub, really got his stay when he was with the Cardinals, though. Uh, so it was kind of sad to see those two legends pass away. Maybe next year there'll be something for them. Uh, for NASCAR, they did start their playoffs last week. Uh, they got a second race coming up here. They're going to be at uh, Richmond this week. Good race, another important race coming up. No one's kicked out of their playoffs yet. Every couple of races, they wind it down. Um our boy Clint Boyer is on the bubble right now, so let's hope he does well. He had some engine trouble last week, some uh, technical issues in the car. but So hopefully he'll come back and we get going on that. Um, other baseball stuff, we started putting it on our Facebook page. Um, the United Shore Professional Baseball League. It's basically fall ball up in New England. Uh, there's four teams. It's Utica and East Side in the East, and Birmingham and West Side in the West. So it's a little four-team Small fall league ball. Their games are on YouTube. I would say it's kind of like watching the St. Paul Saints play for ability. But if you get sick and tired of John Chomby for some reason on ESPN or those guys, flip over their YouTube game on an afternoon. Um, fun to watch. Just not saying these names are going to be in the majors, but if you're like Dan and I, just baseball's baseball. You'll watch what you can. So uh, give them a look. Uh, get them following on our page. You'll see it on the Sports and Songs Facebook page going from there. Uh, University of Minnesota uh, did put out a letter yesterday. Uh, we both posted this on Facebook. Um, as a result of determined, as a result, we've determined the athletic department will be financially uh, unable to hold 25 teams anymore. Um, they are getting rid of, um, let's see, they're going to discontinue men's indoor track and field, men's outdoor track and field, men's gymnastics, men's tennis, um, our gymnastics team has held their own. Uh, we've had a guy, we got one guy currently on the U.S. national team. We've had other members on the U.S. Olympic team. You can see there, I think Channel 5 did a story on it too here locally. Um, so those things are coming down. But of those sports, um, I think tennis was another one of them. Of those sports, and I'm not taking away from them, that's like 58 athletes are getting cut. That's not the end of the world. Yes, it is to them. Um, I think... If you ask me, though, excuse me, um, it still falls under the Title IX, though, because it's total athletes, I believe. 
So the, the 58, they're all men's sports, you're saying. Well, what women's sports get cut? So we're 58 guys, so we're okay there. So that's going to happen. Um, the staff, they've lost staff there. And some of the big coaches for the Gophers, um, Mark Coyle, the AD, uh, PJ Fleck, Richard Patino, Lindsey Whalen, and a few and a couple other coaches, they're all taking 10% cuts. PJ Fleck makes like $4 million a year, so does Patino, Whalen. They're going to be okay. They're not applying for any assistance. But they're all trying to do their part to chip in, to, to help out. I know we've mentioned that here before with Alaska for hockey and Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama for hockey, how alumni came back to save them. I don't think alumni are going to help save track and field, tennis, and gymnastics at the U of M. Um, this just proves what we've said before with college sports. Football, basketball, and here in Minnesota hockey, that's your money makers. They provide the funds for these other sports. Since there's no football, since there's no basketball, there's going to be no track and field and no swimming. That's the sad reality of it all. I don't like it. Yeah. Oh, I love track and field. I like the swimming. I support them. Do I go? No. Is my $10 ticket going to save them? No. I follow them online. I've got people I know who that's a big thing for them. We've we've talked about them here on the show. We mention them. We follow them. We just don't go to support. Shame on me? No. Shame on you? No. That's just the way it is. I can't go to every U of M sport to support it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to every question. sport. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, question, Andy, with the, with the scholarships for these, for these sports, it's not like they're shutting down the sport in, in four years or three years or even in two years. It's, it's next year. This is yep. the final year, and then it ends. So if you're on a three-year scholarship, or if you signed up with two years left on your scholarship, you, does that force you now to transfer to another school that has these sports and it puts those guys in a bind, does it not? Well, last I heard, they're still honoring the academic scholarship part of it. Um, now, all I've heard and read is, oh, they're still honoring their scholarship. I'm assuming that means if they sign, like, this last spring for four years, they're getting four years. I don't think it's going to end in 2021. From what I'm understanding – if you're under scholarship, you can finish your education. For the, it's just for the, not going to pay to travel the team all over the country for their events. Correct. And it'll be interesting because uh, uh, the recruiting is going to take a hit because now those that were thinking about coming here are committing to the U of M for, I'm thinking, gymnastics, uh, track and field, uh, and tennis, of course. Um, now I've got to re- rethink that because um, – they're gonna. They're not gonna have that program. So that all goes away now. I know the tennis program was very good for some time. In fact, it just recently, maybe it was 15 years ago, built that baseline tennis center down by Williams Arena. Yep. That was their own little uh, hub for, for practicing and playing matches, and have had grandstands and uh, concession stands and locker rooms. And essentially, uh, they put a lot of money into that. I think a lot of that was perhaps even donated, but. Um, for a facility like that, where does that go? What gets utilized from something like that? Uh, is there still a women's tennis team? Yep, the women's sports are still there. It's all the men's that got cut. So it's just um, the men's, gotcha. Yep. And the men's gymnastics have been always a very good program. The U of M have put on men's right. gymnastics, very talented groups all the time. Yep, the women will still have it. Um, like I said, it was 58 or 52 athletes um, that were cut, uh, staff that was cut, so it still falls under Title IX. Um, which I'm not arguing about that. I'm not, that's the rules they set out. Um, I don't know how many of these coaches and that helped with both sports when they were smaller sports. So maybe these coaches can pick up on the women's side to help out if they were short staffed there. I don't know. Um, the thing that bothers me a little bit is we had 25 varsity programs at the U of M. We were like fourth out of the big 10 for all the, that we were involved in so many sports. So we were kind of cutting ourselves thin there a lot to start with. Um, and we'll see how many other schools change. I haven't heard any other big 10 ones. Um, that's kind of my homework assignment for this weekend because they're all kind of chopping out. there, kind of waiting to see what everybody else does. Excuse me. I don't know if we'll have enough teams for a big 10 men's gymnastics anymore. They'll start dropping. Do we combine with somebody else? Do we go with 
five teams, whatever. I don't know. That's going to be a big change coming up, I think, too. I know we have coming up later here, WCHA Hockey has said they're going fall or, you know, going later in the year for their start. Um, which brings me to another thing, kind of skipping ahead, talking about college sports here. You know, here we just got another big recruit for college basketball for the Gophers. Jamal Mashburn Jr. Can't, is coming here. Uh, so it's old farts like Dan and I remember Jamal Mashburn, a senior, the old man, uh, Kentucky that went to the Dallas Mavericks to play. His, his son's coming here. So kind of a big name, maybe the Patino name, because you know, the old man was down in Kentucky, you know, ties. But losing all these sports, if you're a big-name basketball player, yeah, you know they're, they're not cutting basketball, but they're cutting other sports. They're going to have enough money for me too. What, or am I going to still get the luxurious locker rooms like they promised me they're building? Who knows? And that's any school with the COVID cutdowns going right now. So that's all scary right there. Um, you know, another thing about college sports right now for basketball, who was it? Uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, is saying that for the big for the March Madness this year, every basketball team should be eligible. All 300 some teams should be eligible. I can't pick the Sweet 16 bracket correctly. Now you can throw 300 teams in my bracket, no dice. Something that some conferences aren't starting right away. So, how is this basketball season going to go for college basketball? Because if they're not traveling, it's going to be all conference games only. Who knows? Who knows? Very interesting to see. You're going to see a lot of different uh, experts put their opinion out there. My opinion is go conference only, do your conference tournaments only. And if you, your March Madness this, this year is just a Sweet 16, because you just say, sorry, George Washington University, your school's not big enough to count. I don't know. Because what, 32 or 36 at-large or automatic bids because conferences. And maybe those teams just make it as no at-larges. You don't win your conference, you're not in. Tough bounce Um Don't know. I, again, here's where the cuts now because of finances. Women's basketball has gone to 64 teams lately. Are they going to cut back again? Don't know. It's very interesting to see all the different uh, options that come out, what people say, what conferences are still there, what schools are still involved. Because um, some players might not want to play. They might want to say, nope, I got a chance to go in the draft next year. I'm not taking a chance. Kind of like we're seeing with football players not wanting to play could be more fun to watch in my opinion because now you see guys who are supposed to be second third stringers getting a chance to play so that'll be kind of fun to watch i i think we'll see how it happens but uh more go for news Haley mack of the women's hockey team has signed with the minnesota whitecaps uh our women's professional hockey so local girls staying home to play so it'd be kind of fun to watch um, what kind of local East Grand Forks? Um, she closed out her college career. I'm sorry, not Gophers, Bemidji. Not a bad Bemidji Beavers. Um, she uh, was the Beavers' leader in points and goals last year as a senior. Uh, she's fifth for career goals at BSU. So now she's be coming down here to play professional hockey for the Whitecaps. I have not been to professional women's game yet. I would like to go this year. Uh, I just think it's fun to watch women's hockey. It's kind of like watching women's basketball. It's more fundamental. Not so much putting me on ESPN type players, just players playing for love of the game. So that should be fun to watch. Um, really, that is all I had. I kind of had an abbreviated system for sports this week. It was kind of more the Gopher news kind of took a lot of it right there. Um, there was one wrestling note. Uh, NWA Wrestling is going back on TV. Uh, they got their YouTube going. Um, they're going to be doing some pay-per-views coming up. Uh, follow that on our Sports and Songs Facebook page. You'll find information there. AEW had a big pay-per-view last week. Uh, those who saw it or saw the highlights saw the poten- or injury, quote-unquote, to Matt Hardy. Um, 
Some say it was concussion. He was cleared of concussion protocol. The match continued. That was not a storyline. He did hit. Uh, I've talked to people in the know, um, heard, read interviews from those in the know. He was cleared. Some people didn't like how fast it was. But he is going to take time off to be right. Um, concussions are a scary thing in all sports. So that was not a, a storyline thing for those of you watching it that saw it last week. That was a hard hit. Uh, for those who don't know, he, he fell eight feet. I was supposed to hit through a table. They'd practice it twice earlier that day. Everything went great. Of course, we go to the live show. His head hit, missed the table coming eight feet down and bounced on the concrete. He, if you saw it, he did not look right. He looked like the guy walking out of the bar at 2.30 in the morning. He was not right. Um, but he did pass concussion protocol. He finished. They went quickly to what they call the finish or the go home is a wrestling term. So they started the match. It was like the second thing, second segment. He hits his head. Uh, they stop it. He passes concussion protocol. They go home, as they say. They went straight to the finish of the match. He was a little disappointed because he had a lot of things planned out for this match he wanted to do. I don't know if they'll ever get to it. But it was a legit injury. injury. Um, thoughts and prayers to Matt for getting better. Uh, hopefully, he's getting up there in age. He's a little long in the tooth, so it was a little wake-up call to him to tone it down a little bit, <laughs> keep it to the fundamentals. No more tables, young man. No more tables. But that is what I have for my sports. Um, how was your recap of the baseball tournaments there, sir? We wrapped that up. Uh, Class A was done the week before. Class B for the state tournament wrapped up on uh, Sunday with Chan Hassan winning it again. And then Class C, St. Patrick got to the finals and got beat 12 to nothing to Fairmont. The Fairmont Martins won the entire Class C on Monday, Labor Day. It was supposed to be a 1 o'clock first pitch game. Rain was moving in, so they moved it up to 11 a.m. to start that off to, to beat the weather. They had some on and off showers, uh, but it ended in eight innings because of the big lead anyway. And uh, so Fairmont, Class C title. The MVP of the tournament was Luke Becker. Plays there out of, uh, out of, uh, out of Fairmont and comes from a big family of baseball players. He's the one that was drafted by the San Diego Padres two years ago. So drafted by the Padres, like a ninth round pick, second baseman, and then played two years in the minors, the low A, and then the following year at the high A, and then earlier this year was released. And uh, I think he also played in the Northwoods League. And so he was released. He was able to focus his entire season playing baseball, baseball amateur, and came away with the title for the team and the MVP of the entire thing. I've watched uh, him a couple of his games. It was unbelievable to watch that guy play very aggressive on the base paths, um, good hitter all around. So he might be picked up somewhere on a free agent or uh, might play for something regional or locally like uh, independently. The Saints, you know, something to that. Northwoods League but, or the Saints maybe? Boy, that, boy, the Fair, Fairmont really was – aided by having a guy like him on his team during that final uh, run. Uh, so that was amazing. The only other thing I have for high school notes, remember girls basketball, high school, Paige Beckers. Uh, Hopkins, yes. Yes. Uh, was a Gatorade uh, female athlete of the year. And she'll be on the upcoming cover of sports illustrator. That's out. I think now maybe just maybe hit the newsstands. She was going to be on the cover of sports illustrated. So she was a Hopkins grad going to UConn. So that's another team to follow. Look for her to be starting, I think, immediately for the UConn Huskies for women's basketball here in the winter. Uh, she'll be a true freshman. So uh, she's on the Sports Illustrated cover. That's all I've got for sports. One thing uh, we're going to be looking to start once uh, sports get back to normal, college football starts here. On Instagram, probably won't be on our regular show, but be on Instagram weekly to be a Minnesotans in the pros type of highlight show. A little 15-minute bit like, hey, this person for this pro team who went to school at Minnetonka or U of M or Georgia, we'll kind of follow their careers throughout the season, kind of quick highlights, give them some love on a little 15-minute bit. Probably Wednesdays or Thursdays on Instagram. 
which we, we won't do on the regular podcast, but we'll tie them later to the show. Yeah, that, but, is, um, that, that is a good idea because there's so many of them out there and they all seem to fly yeah. under the radar for the most part. Yep. And we get a lot, I get a lot of phone calls and emails from people going, hey, you didn't mention so-and-so. You know, I went to high school through here. Or, you know, they went to college at Duluth and you don't mention them. So probably Thanksgiving time, November, when sports really start heating up, college basketball's going, football, if there is any, stuff like that. We'll have a little special bit just on Instagram once a week. One of us will have a, a stats update for the local kids. That's what go. I got, sir. Should we roll into uh... – uh, this day in sports, this day in uh, birthdays, history and birthdays. Here we history go. Birthdays. Start with uh, the sports part of it here. September 7th, 1970, the White Sox used a record 41 players in a doubleheader and lost both games. Uh, 1975, Cincinnati Reds win earliest. They'd won a clinched the NL uh, division title in 1975 in the state. 1979, the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, also known as ESPN, debuted in 1979, also known as ABC News 2 now. 1980, Oakland A's pitch a record 78th complete game of the season. See, that's, wow. a, that's a stat that will never be broken, I don't think. Um, 1981, Cleveland Browns' Brian Seip sets a club record with 57 pass attempts. Uh, I was a fan. I, I like I like Brian Sight back in the Brian day. Brian Sight. He was from our quarterback U, wasn't he, from Miami? I, I don't even know that. I'll look him up, though. 1986, Cleveland Browns become the first team in NFL history to have a play reviewed on instant replay. Uh, that was a game against the Chicago Bears, which they lost 41-31. to 31. 1986, Dan Marino throws his 100th career touchdown pass. Fastest quarterback in NFL history to reach that mark. 93, St. Louis Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Mark Witten hits four home runs and 12 RBIs in a 15-2 win against the Cincinnati Reds. Birthdays on this day. Brianna Skiri, American soccer goalie for the women's team from the Olympics, 96. Born this day in Minneapolis, Minnesota. See what I mean? Local people. This is where we're getting it from. 1972, Jason Ingrenhauser, uh, pitcher. He uh, had a cup of coffee with the Mets. Born this day in, in Illinois, 1972, he was born. September 8th, 1939, Bob Feller, at the age of 20, is the youngest pitcher to win 20 games. 1954, with a 3-2 count, Phillies' Richie Ashburn falls off the next 14 pitches and then got a walk. 1955, or this record was broken, we read earlier, but uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers had clinched a National League pennant on this date. Uh, 1965, the Braves' Warren Spahn ties Christy Matheson with, a, with his 13th 20-win season. So that's pretty great, 13 20-win season. Oh. 1973, Billy Martin is named manager of the Texas Rangers. 1993, Houston's Daryl Kyle throws the third no hitter of the season in the Astros' 7-1 win over the Mets. 2002, rookie quarterback David Carr throws for two touchdowns as the Houston Texans beat the Dallas Cowboys 19-10 to become only the second expansion team to win their inaugural game. Do you know the other expansion team to win their inaugural game? Vikings? The Vikings did it in 1961. Very nice. You read the yes, notes? Chicago, I think. I believe so, yeah. Birthdays on this day, 1956, Maurice Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks. Um, yes, born in Chicago, Illinois. September 9th, 2004, Boston Herald again refers to New York Baseball Club as Yankees when it reports Yankees take two. Yankees' name was not official until 1913. Uh, 1965, Los Angeles Dodgers feature future. Future Hall of Famer, Sandy Koufax throws his fourth career no-hitter and first perfect game in a one nothing win over the Cubs at Dodger Stadium. 1988, Braves' Bruce Souter joins Raleigh Fingers and Goose Gossage in the 300 Save Club. 
1990, the Yankees or the Yankees lost to Oakland to complete a 12-game sweep of the Yankees. So Oakland A's beat the Yankees all 12 games that year. Wow. That's talk about a record that won't be broke. Right. That was those A's teams there, though, when they had Henderson and Stewart and Hen- and uh, Dave Henderson and McGuire, Canseco, Carney Lansford. Ooh. 2002, pitcher Randy Johnson reaches 300 strikeouts for the fifth consecutive season, extending his major league record on that. Birthdays, 19, or 18, 1877. Frank Chance of the Tinkers to Everest to Chance was born in California. 1918, Jimmy the Greek Snyder was born. Uh, was a Las Vegas bookmaker. He was on NFL Today. I was born in Ohio. Uh, he passed away back in 96, I believe. 1949, Joe Theismann, quarterback of the Washington Redskins. Uh, went on ESPN and some other stuff for broadcasting. So his career was cut short by a sack by Lawrence Taylor on Monday Night Football, I believe. Yeah. 1962, Jack Trudeau, quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, was born in Forest Lake, Minnesota. Local boy does good. 1965, Thunder Dan Marley, NBA guard of the Miami Heat, and Phoenix Suns was born in Traverse City, Michigan. Now, September 10th, 1950, Joe DiMaggio becomes the first to hit three home runs in a game at Griffith Stadium. And in 1961, Mickey Mantle becomes the seventh player to join the 400 home run club. 1963, um, I don't know if the stat's been matched or not. Not a lot of guys brag about this one. 1963, Stan Musial hits a home run in his first at-bat as a grandfather. Wow. I'm sure there's been other guys where grandfathers came up, but Stan the Man was the first first one there. So Many firsts for Stan in the record books. There's another one. 1969, very important date here. The New York Mets swept the Montreal Expos, putting them in first place for the first time. 1977, the Blue Jays beat the Yankees 19-3 to with 20 hits. A mm-hmm. couple of 1989 football notes here. In 1989, Cleveland Browns allowed Pittsburgh only 53 net yards for a defensive record right there. Wow. And also in 1989, Indianapolis running back Eric Dickerson rushes for 106 yards against San Francisco to become the fastest player to reach the 10,000-yard plateau in his 91st game. Birthday is 1929, Arnie Palmer. Um, was born golfer, seven major titles, uh, the Masters. Great golfer, great man. Um, great drink, the Arnie Palmer. Born 1929. 1934, Roger Maris. Born in Hibbing, Minnesota. Oh, yes. Even though Fargo likes to claim him, he was born in Hibbing. He's ours, Fargo. Step down. One of us. Um, September 11th, today's date, for those of you uh, watching us record live today, uh, Franco Harris becomes the third NFLer to reach 11,000 yards in his career. Uh, 1985, Pete Rose of the Reds gets career hit 4,192 off Eric Schau. Wow. San Diego Padres eclipsing Ty Cobb's record. 1991, Atlanta Braves, Kurt Merker, Mark Wallers, and Alejandro Pena pitched the first combined no-hitter in the National League, beating the Padres 1-0. Not a good day for the Padres in this history, it sounds like. Birthdays, 1924, Tom Landry, original coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Birthday. And also John McSherry, a Major League Baseball umpire. Umpired some baseball games, all-star games. Very well-liked umpire. Um, kind of noted about his career, though, is uh, opening day, 1996, in a game in New York, he died while umpiring the game. And I vaguely remember that when I was reading that. Those no. Wow. Yes. 1969, Eduardo Perez, a baseball player. He's the Eduardo Perez here on ESPN, Tony Perez's kid. Eduardo, I like him on baseball games. Very knowledgeable. He was fun to listen to during the Korean games. Of course, he does Sunday Night Baseball with John Shabby. Very, very fun team to listen to. Not a real good guy. He doesn't. He's not one of those guys that are going, well, you know my dad, Tony Perez, who played for the Cincinnati Reds, Big Red Machine. 
he doesn't do that. So I, I think that's why I like listening to him. He doesn't bring it up. Uh, 19, or September 12th, 1962, Washington Senators Tom Chaney strikes out a record 21 Orioles in a 16-inning game. 1984, Dwight Gooden sets the rookie strikeout record at 251. And in 1987, New York Met John Olerud hit for the cycle. And uh, yeah, big deal, hit for the cycle. He plays for the Mets, that's why it's on here. 2004, Detroit Lions beat the Chicago Bears 20-16 at Soldier Field. Snapped their NFL record, 24-game losing road losing streak. Oh. Bur- <laughs> Birthdays, 1913, Jesse Owens, Olympic runner, uh, athlete, had four gold medals in 36, born this day in Alabama. And in 1959, Cindy Roderick, American golfer, she won five LPGA titles, born in Glenwood, Minnesota. September 13th, 1909, Ty Cobb clinches AL home run title with nine. All nine were inside the park home runs. Dead ball era? I, I would say so, yes. All nine were inside the park home runs, oh. so bad outfielding era, too, I guess. <laughs> uh, 1958, Braves' Warren Spahn is the first lefty to win 20 games or more nine times. 1969, the Baltimore Orioles win the AL East title. Orioles had won it. Too bad 69 didn't finish where you did for the Baltimore Orioles that year. 1974, Philly set a National League record using 27 players in a game. St. Louis uses 24, tying a record of 51. The Phillies won the game 7-3 in 17 innings. Uh. 1978, the Yankees recover from 14 games behind to gain sole possession of the AL East first place with a 7-3 win over the Tigers. In 1983, Ricky Henderson. Third straight season of 100 stolen bases in a season. That's unreal. And then this one I did not – I totally forgot about. 1991, Joe Carter, first baseball player with three consecutive 100 RBI seasons with three different teams. Cleveland, then had a cup of coffee with the Padres for a year, then he went to the Blue Jays. 100 RBIs a year, three straight years, but with three different teams. That is unreal. That's just weird. Uh, birthdays, 1968, Denny Nagel was born um, in Maryland, but he was a University of Minnesota graduate. Golden Gopher. Golden Gopher. That, my friend, is what I got for sports, history and birthdays, which brings us to the music history and birthday segment of the show. Uh, Already? September 7th, 1994. Uh, Weezer releases their breakthrough single, Buddy Holly named after the rock and roll icon on what would have been his 58th birthday. It's featured in the band's debut album, Weezer, or also known as the Blue Album. Uh, In 1987, Michael Jackson releases Bad, the title track from his first album since Thriller. Here's the part I didn't know. The song was supposed to be a duet with Prince, but uh, Mr. Roger Nelson said no. (laughs) Um, 1987, in the UK, Pink Floyd releases A Momentary Lapse of Reason, their first album without Roger Waters. And in 1985, for the first time in the rock era, top three songs in the Hot 100 were all from movies. Oh, really? Okay. Number three, We Don't Need Another Hero by Tina Turner from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Number two, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News from Back to the Future. And number one, St. Amal's Fire by John Park. Can you hear a shadow in the background there, Meow? He's Ditches now, yes. Yes. Well, we are in the Shadow Studios. He just wants that noted. Exactly. 1986, Mike Nesmith joins the other three members of the Monkees on stage for the reunion concert in Los Angeles. Uh, Mike Nesmith never went with the Monkees when they redid it in the mid-80s there for money. And everybody goes, was Mike Nesmith, uh, is he too good for it or whatever? Actually, if the legend is correct that I've heard, his mom or his grandma or something like that invented whiteout, invented liquid paper. So he 
didn't need the money. He was okay. Um, birthday is 1963. Um, Eric Wright, or as I call him, EZE of NWA. Born this day in Compton, California. 1936, as we mentioned earlier, Buddy Holly's birthday. He lives. He was only 22 years old, but he had big influences on the Beatles. Uh, was one big influence on him. And of course, Don McLean's song "American Pie" was about the death of uh, Buddy Holly. September 8th, 1955. In an attempt to hide wrinkles in his suit, Chuck Berry does the duck walk for the first time. 1976, Riding the Wave off the Frampton Comes Alive album, Peter Frampton gets invited by President Gerald Ford to play at the White House. Now, I don't know about you, but I was never a big Peter Frampton guy. No, uh, same here. I don't like the Framptophone. I didn't get it. I didn't like it when Richie Sambora did it with Bon Jovi. I just, I don't get it. It's dumb. There, I said it. It's dumb. Mm -hmm. All right, 1960, David Steele, bassist of Fine Young Cannibals, is born in England. 1947, Ben Orr, lead singer and bassist for The Cars, is born. Um, I think he's the one who sang the song Drive, or Drive for The Cars. Who's going to drive to home? That's, uh, that's him. Uh, 1932, country singer Patsy Cline, born in Virginia. Or was born Virginia Patterson Helmsley in the state of Virginia. Uh, to Hilda, a 16-year-old seamstress, and Sam, a 43-year-old blacksmith. Not judging, just reporting. 2004, the English Oxford Dictionary adds the word bootylicious, defined as a woman of a woman sexually attractive. I have to say. I think that's the first time I've ever used the word bootylicious. 2003, Simon and Garfunkel make it official announcing plans to reunite and tour for the first time in 20 years. They get more per ticket than any other tour that year. $136.90 per ticket is what they got. They donated $1 million to the Children's Health Fund at the end of the year for that. 1975, TV series Welcome Back, Cotter debuts on ABC. The theme song, written by John Sebastian of the Loving Spoonfuls fame, goes to number one in America. Cotter also gives John Travolta, who plays a high school delinquent on the show, his big break. Uh, he goes on Saturday Night Fever in Greece and stuff like that. Um, that was one of the first TV shows to have their theme song go number one, I think. I think the soundtrack or the song from Greatest American Hero might have also gone number one at one time. I do not recall. Birthdays for this day. So I get my prompter around here. Okay. 1952, Dave Stewart of the Arrhythmics was born in England. Dave Stewart, very good guitarist player for the Arrhythmics, good writer, good musician, very talented man. Speaking of talent, 1941, Otis Redding is born. Otis, Otis Ray Redding Jr. in Dawson, Georgia. September 10th, 1991, Nirvana's Smell White Teen Spirit is released as a single, forever changing the musical meaning of the word alternative. 1988, Guns N' Roses, while opening up for Aerosmith on tour, uh, for the first two weeks, their song Sweet Child of Mine hits number one. 1970, B.B. King, great blues guitarist B.B. King, plays for the inmates at Cook County Jail in Chicago. The show was released as an album later that year, live from Cook County Jail. Birthdays, 1968, rapper Big Daddy Kane is born, Antonio Hardy in Brooklyn, New York. Known for his 80s hit, Ain't No Half-Steppin'. He knew that, of course. 1950, Joe Perry of Aerosmith was born in Massachusetts. September 11th, 1982, Frank Zappa's Valley Girl reaches the charts, peaking at number 32 on the Hot 100. The only top 40 hit that Frank Zappa ever had in his career, even though he released 60 albums in his life, his daughter, Moon Unit Zappa, plays the Valley Girl on the song. Moon Unit Zappa. That had to be tough for her going to school with the name Moon Unit Zappa because 
Everybody knows that's a boy's name. 1982, John Mellencamp becomes the first male solo to have the number one album, American Fool, with two top ten singles at the same time. Hurt So Good was at number eight, and Jack and Diane at number four. 1977. It's in the Christmas mode here a little bit on this one. David Bowie appears on the Bing Crosby's Real Old Christmas Special. Bowie refuses to sing Little Drummer Boy with Crosby, with Crosby, so his part is rewritten as Peace on Earth. Crosby dies a month later, and the duet becomes a Christmas classic, which I remember MTV plays a lot. I, that is one of my favorite Christmas okay. songs. I didn't know Bing Crosby died soon after that one, but MTV plays the snot out of it at Christmas time, back when they used to play videos. But you hear that song every now and then. I couldn't figure out why does he sing Peace on Earth, but hey, it's kind of cool. It's a different song. It's okay. two different ones. But now, so there's the history behind that one. Here's one. Here's any of you taking business classes. Sports and songs is good. Now I'll do a little economics news here for you. 1967, Frank Sinatra who's playing at the Sands Casino in Las Vegas, gets in a fight when he's denied credit as part of the policy put in by the new owners. He breaks two teeth in the altercation and soon takes his talents and money to Caesar's Palace. Frank Sinatra wants credit at your casino. You give it to him. <laughs> it's Frank Sinatra. Good economics lesson here I on mean, Sports and Songs. I mean, come on now. And Frank Sinatra didn't exactly hang around with choir boys either. He wants credit, you give Frank credit, okay. Uh, 1977, Christopher Brian Bridges is born, or as Dan knows him as, Ludacris is born. <laughs> uh, yes. And his close personal friend, Ludacris. Uh, 1977, John Buckland of Coldplay is born in London, but he uh, later moved to North Wales where he was raised. 1967, Harry Connick Jr. is born. Joseph Harry Butler Connick Jr. in New Orleans. I'm kind of a big Harry Connick Jr. fan, a closet Harry Jr. fan. Um, not so closet now that I said it here. Nice. 1957, John Moss, drummer of Culture Club, born in England. In 1953, Tommy Shaw of Styx and of Damn Yankees and of many other oh, yeah. projects he's helped other people with, born 1953. Uh, 1966, again, speaking from earlier, the Monkees TV show made its debut with four actors chosen to portray a pop band based on the Beatles. While the Monkees are a fictional band, they became real and eventually learned to play their own instruments and songs. I think, you know, a lot of their old songs, I want to say it was Paul Inca wrote a lot of their old, their songs for them. But they, at first, did not know their own instruments. They learned, went on tour, because they had to go on tour, so they had to learn the songs. So they, they did it. 1996. Jack Gills marries Meg White. He takes her last name. And the couple form the band The White Stripes. They tell reporters they're brother and sister, which goes over until a reporter, reporter from the Detroit Free Press uncovers their marriage license in 2001. All right. Remember earlier I said... David Bowie and Bing Crosby might have been my favorite Christmas song ever. Yes. 2000, Leonard Skinner releases Christmas Time Again, their first Christmas album. That's your number one. The, December, you got to do that for your album of the week, I think. You got to look that one up. Put, yes. put that in the suggestion in box. The queue. Leonard Skinner, Christmas music. Yeah. Birthdays, 1944, R&B singer Barry White is born in Galveston, Georgia. Barry Carter is his actual name. Mm. Uh, born in Galveston, Texas, raised in South Central Los Angeles. 1931, country singer George Jones is born in Saratoga, Texas. 1997, Elton John's rewritten version of Candle in the Wind was played at Princess Diana's funeral. A week earlier, released as a single. It sells a record 600,000 copies the first day in Britain alone, where it becomes the best-selling single of all time. Worldwide, over 30 million copies, only second to White Christmas. Now, with that said, 
you imagine if that was today with Spotify and the way songs are released mm-hmm. electronically, how many downloads that would have then? Oh, man. Wow. 2008, Come Dancing, a musical devoted to the music of the Kinks, opens in London. And in 1993, Max Weinberg, drummer of the Bruce Springsteen's East Street Band, begins his new job as band leader in NBC's Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And birthdays, we got 1967, Jane's Addiction drummer Steve Perkins was born in Los Angeles. 1961, Dave Mustaine, Megadeth, formerly Metallica, then he went on to Megadeth, was born. And in 1952, Don Was was born. Don Was, you say? Who's Don Was, Andy? Let me just pull this up here for you. Um, pardon me. Where's my Don Was note? Here we go. Was not was. Oh, yes. That's him. Okay. Yeah, get that song out of your head now. Okay. 1944, Peter Cetera. Basis and vocalist for Chicago was born in Chicago. And in 1925, um, did you ever watch a show, Night Court? Yes. Mel Torme, also known as the Velvet Frog, is born. Um, the Velvet Fog. The Velvet Frog. Fog. Velvet Fog was born because uh, what's his name was a big fan of Mel Torme on the show. Um, that's what I got. I do have some other concert notes for music before we get to your album there. Yes, let's do those. September 12th, Hairball. It's going to be at River's Edge and Apple Valley or Apple River Campgrounds. September 12th, 9.30 p.m. for Hairball. Um, one we were looking forward to go to, September 27th, the show Judas Priest at the Armory has been canceled. Um, lots of cancelings going on. Uh, Five Finger Death Punch XL, November 6th, has been canceled. Sebastian Bach, formerly of Skid Row, has New dates now at the Skyway Theater, so you have to check that website for his dates, changing on that for those of you have tickets. Medina is changing a lot of dates on their concerts, people coming back there, so I have to keep an eye on that. Go to Medina Entertainment Center, check their website. Um, there's a Neil, Neil Diamond tribute band. Um, ACDC's Thunderstruck has been rescheduled till April, I think. Um, they're supposed to be coming up here. Uh, there's a Tom Petty one. Oak Ridge Boys has been rescheduled. So you'll have to just go to their websites, check it out. But some are starting to slowly come back there. So that's very exciting news on that end of it. Bands coming back and concerts touring. That's what I have. What have you got for your uh, album of the week? All right. We'll be back after a short break here with the album review of the week. And now moving on to the album review of the week for episode 39. It's going to be Aerosmith. 1975 album Toys in the Attic. Toys in the Attic was the third studio album by American rock band Aerosmith, released in 1975 by Columbia Records. The first single, Sweet Emotion, was released on May 19th. Walk This Way followed on August 28th of the same year. The album is the band's most commercially successful studio LP in the United States, with 8 million copies sold. That is 8 times platinum. Wow. Album was ranked number 229 on the Rolling Stones list of 500 greatest albums of all time. The album's title track and Run DMC's version of Walk This Way are included on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list of 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. This album was released on April 8th, 1975, was recorded during the months of January, February, and March of 1975 at the Record Plant in New York City. Genre, hard rock, blues rock, producer Jack Douglas. Length of the album is 37 minutes and 8 seconds. The singles released were Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, and You See Me Crying. Here's a track listing. Song 1, Toys in the Attic. 
Song two is Uncle Salty. Song three, Adam's Apple. Now, Adam's Apple is a song really basically taken from the Bible from the Genesis chapter three of the Bible, about Adam and Eve in the garden. There are some notes here. Uh, oh, and th- this will be the next song. It looks like the notes on the next song. Uncle Salty. Uncle Salty. Okay, this is track two. Uncle Salty. This song, it says, is, has far less condemning lyrics than Aerosmith's other song about child abuse called Janie's Got a Gun. Uncle Salty was written by the group's bass player, Tom Hamilton, and also Steven Tyler. And so it talks about domestic uh, domestic abuse. Uncle Salty. The lyrics include this, the lyric, It's a sunny day outside my window. And it is one of Steven Tyler's best songs. Uh, some consider it a, a connection to California, in fact, Riverside, possibly, Willis, w- Riverside. And there was a connection also possibly to San Diego to this song. They played it on their very first California tour when they played in L.A. at Whiskey A Go-Go. That is Uncle Salty. So fourth song is Walk This Way. That's the very popular song. Um, According to some, including myself, that was the whole reason rap got introduced. When Run DMC did that song, Walk This Way, in a rap tone, rap took over. And so many blame Aerosmith for the rap music genre. It all started off with Walk This Way. Song five is Big Ten Inch Record. Now, Big Ten Inch Record is an interesting song. They were looking to fill, I think they were looking to to fill that album. And so they grabbed, it's a cover, it's a cover song. Uh, it's, a, it's a song by Fred Wisemantel. Only two seconds long, but they were short. And so they filled this in. And the Big Ten Inch record, once again with the sexual overtones, is very interesting. Back then, the first vinyl records released around 1900 were 10-inch, 75 RPM records. And so it talks about their, uh, became a bit, and this song actually became a big hit in the R&B charts during 1952 for the tenor slash sax player Bull Moose Johnson. And so this song had been a ra- uh, around uh, a while. It was Aerosmith's drug dealer named Zunk Bucker who introduced them to this song. He had heard Bull Moose Jackson's version on the Dr. Demento radio show and sent the band a copy of the song. Steven Tyler was struggling to come up with lyrics for the Toys in the Attic tracks, so adding a cover song took some of the pressure off him. The next song on the track, track six, Sweet Emotion, one of the more popular songs. Seven is No More, No More. Eight, Round and Round, and You See Me Crying. So the nine songs on the album, here is the is the musicians on the album. Steven Tyler, of course, vocals. Joe Perry, lead guitar. Brad Whitford, rhythm guitar and lead guitar. Tom Hamilton, bass. Joey Kramer, drums and percussion. The piano on Big Ten Inch Record and No More, No More was done by Scott Kushney. Kushney. Once again, this went eight times platinum. The singles that reached high on the charts or Walk This Way reached up to number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
and the song Sweet Emotion reached as high as 36 on the Billboard Hot 100. Good album, one to certainly have in your collection. The album before this for Aerosmith was Get Your Wings, 1974. And then the follow-up after Toys in the Attic was the was the album Rocks. Joe Perry had wanted to be having the name, wanted to name this album Rocks, but they decided to push it off to the next one. That is all I've got for this week's album review. Please leave your comments below.